Amen. Thank God for Calvary. Amen. Well, good to see you here in the Lord's house this morning. It's a great day to be living, isn't it? I was thinking a while ago, 18 years ago, I preached my first sermon on this August 21st. It don't seem like 18 years have gone by, but it has. I know I don't look no older. <laughs> I was looking at them pictures they used to have of all the, the former pastors. My head was black. My mustache was black. Now I'm old. Amen. Anyway, none of you have aged either. You all still look good. I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, I don't always have great titles for messages, but I, I want to share this one. How to develop a positive self-image. Now, there are many people who do not have a very good image of themselves. They look in the mirror and say something like, you're disgusting, or you're hopeless, or you're nowhere being like Jesus. And, and that's not a very good way to start your day if you're a Christian, is it? You are somebody, and you need to have a true understanding of who you are. You, ha you need to have an understanding of what God says about you. You need to see who you are in Christ and realize who you are in Christ and you can develop that positive self-image of yourself. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, the key to living a victorious Christian life is to, is to discover who you are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever noticed that in the average Bible, nowadays we got iPads and, you know, uh, phones and we got our Bibles on them, but for most of us that used Bibles or still use them, a lot of times in the margin you see where they have thumbed the most, uh, has been used the most, is in those passages that deal with behavior, behavior passages. And what do we mean by behavior passages? Passages like Ephesians chapter 6 that tell us to put on the whole armor of God and how to fight and wage spiritual warfare. Or chapter 12 in Romans that tells us the things to do and the things not to do. Or maybe you could be in the Beatitudes where it tells us how to live and how to act and all of these things. And we study these behavior passages over and over again. But I want you to learn something about Christianity this morning. And Christianity is not behavioral uh, modification. There are many people who have the idea that it is, but God 
does not work from the outside in, does he? He doesn't do that in order to change us. God changes us in order to modify our behavior. See, sin is an inside job. You take a worm that starts on the inside of the apple, having had its egg laid in the blossom, and, and it starts to work its way out. Same with sin. It comes from within, out of the heart of man. And when God deals with sin, God deals with the inside first. He deals with the heart first. Somebody has said, you never purify the water by painting the pump. Well, you're not going to purify your life by what you look like on the outside either. You can look holy and be meaner than a snake. Amen. See, if you try to, what you're going to end up with is legalism, and legalism can be deadly. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us who we are. Now, it's very important that we uh, understand this because in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he tells us how we got to be who we are in Christ. And then in chapter 4 through 6, he tells us how to live like what we are in Christ. Now, that's, that's always Paul's pattern. First, he gives the doctrinal part, what we are and how we got to be what we are. And I've heard people say, well, I don't need that doctrinal stuff. You better have it. You leave the doctrine out, you'll wander off in all kinds of cul-de-sac places. And then he gives us the practical position, how to live like what we are. And he deals, first of all, with being, and then he deals with, with doing. Now, if you start out with doing rather than being, if you don't understand this doctrinal part, if you simply start in the practical, then you're going to get, that will get you off into legalism. So in legalism, what happens with that? You get frustrated and you're going to try to live in a way that's not going to work out. So it's frustrating to live contrary to an identity that you do not have in your heart, nor do you have it in your mind. Now listen at Jesus' words from John 8, 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now he said this because it's truth that frees us. Amen? And by the way, what is truth? Truth is what God says. And God says this truth is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, I can be saved. I can be delivered. I can be set free. I do have a home in heaven waiting for me whatever day or hour it will be that I leave this place. So when the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, that truth does not free you until you know it is the truth. It doesn't matter how true the truth is. It doesn't matter how many wonderful truths or Bible stories we might read. They will not give us liberty. They will not set us free until we know those truths and believe those truths. So you got to know the doctrinal before you can translate it into the practical. So have you ever gone to a circus? Sure you have. And seen a circus elephant? 
And when he's on the outside, he's slinging straw across his back. He's got this chain to one of his back legs and, and hooked to a spike in the ground. Now, you would expect, because that's such a big old elephant, you'd expect to see that chain hooked up to a piece of concrete with an inch ring with a chain on it. But usually it's just a small spike or a small peg, and it's not really driven that far into the ground. See, many times it's just hooked up. And that elephant, he'll be going back and forth doing his thing. But now any time that elephant wanted to, he could yank that chain, that spike out of the ground. The chain does not keep him there. You know what keeps him there? When he was a young elephant, they trained him. They put a chain around him and hooked it to a pipe or a ring in concrete so that he could not move it. Or they tied him to a tree and gave him some leeway with a chain. And he, it was beyond his strength to pull it out. So he did this until he learned in his mind that he could not move that stake, that his chain to this position until somebody sets him free. So now they can put it just a few inches in the ground and he'll never try and pull it out because he's got in his mind that he's fastened, that he's chained. And that becomes to that elephant a mental perception. Now, what he perceives is not true. He perceives that the chain is what's holding him, preventing him from getting out on his own. But that's not true. See, if he knew the truth, the truth would set him free. The truth is that he could pull the stake out of the ground anytime he wanted to. But he doesn't know it. So rather than living by what he is and his true conditions, he lives by his perceptions, and his perceptions have the elephant bound. Now, you know I'm going somewhere with this. Many Christians do not understand the truth. They do not know who they are in Christ Jesus. They've never really understood self-image. They do not know what they have in Christ and who they are in Christ. And therefore, they never ever really become liberated. They have a lid on their mind spiritually. They say, I cannot do this. I cannot be free. I cannot succeed. I'm chained to this habit. I'm chained to this failure. I'm chained to my limited knowledge of what the Word of God says. But that's just not true. Yet if we believe it to be true, then it just as well be true. There's a word that came by this week. And it's the word psycho-cybernetics. Never heard of it before in my life. But it has to do with plastic surgery. And I wasn't looking up for a doctor to get plastic surgery, neither. <laughs> but what I found out about I actually stumbled over it. But what I found out about it, the doctor who does this kind of work usually works on people that have disfigurements in their face and things like this. And, and, and a facial characteristic that might not develop that great. And it needed to be corrected. And the doctor with his skill and his patience performs these delicate surgeries 
and corrects the person's disfigurement. Now listen to this. He said that with this disorder, when they looked into the mirror, even after they have been fixed, still saw themselves disfigured. They still conceived of themselves as being less than acceptable in their appearance. And they still thought of themselves somehow as being ugly, no matter how successful the operation was. For some patients, he said, it made no difference because they had locked into their minds so strongly that they were disfigured and they were not good as anybody else. Now listen, in their mind, they still saw themselves as disfigured. Now many Christians need to understand that they too have a perception of themselves that's not true. Like the elephant or like the people with plastic surgery, the perception is not true. But they believe it to be true and therefore they're never free spiritually. Now remember the truth is what God says. Not what you think about it or I think about it. What God says is true no matter how we might feel about it. It's truth if God says it's truth, right? But it will never set you free until you know it's the truth. Am I hitting close to where we live this morning? I believe that all of us want to be free in Christ Jesus, to be liberated. There are three things that are going to liberate you this a.m., things that are going to give you a proper self-image to understand what God says about you. And when we know what God says about us, we're going to be brought to a true sense of humility and we'll have a healthy image, self-image, of who we are in Christ Jesus. So the first truth, first truth then is this. If you would be free, then you need to recognize your righteousness. Look again at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, that is, if you have received Christ as your personal Savior, if you have been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, if you have repented of your sin and trusted Him as your Savior and you've been saved, guess what? You are a saint. Woo. Now, sometimes our Catholic friends take certain individuals who have, been, who have achieved certain things in their, in their Christian lives and they say, we're going to canonize them. Well, that means we're going to make them a saint. Well, just for the record, nobody can make me a saint. I'm already a saint. I know that's blowing some of your minds. <laughs> already a saint. You're looking at St. John. <laughs> I'm at that one, Kevin. St. John. And some of you are saying, yeah, you're a saint, all right. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be smart this morning either. If you are a Christ follower, that's exactly what you are, a saint. Someone has said that there's only two classes of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> and you're one of them. Now, the word saint means a sanctified one. 
It means one that God has made righteous and God has set aside for himself. You may say, well, I just don't think I ought to call myself a saint. You may think that that's being humble, but real humility is accepting what God says about you or about me. Now, what you think about, not what you think about it, but what God says about you. Have you ever tried to lead a person to Christ and, and you're not making much headway? That's happened to me over and over. And the reason, because that person wouldn't believe what God had said about uh, his sinnership, if that's the right word, it's the same way with some Christians. They don't have the victory because they will not receive what God says about them. Not only about their being a sinner when they were lost, but about their sainthood now that they're saved. Some Christians just resist the idea that they're the head and not the tail. That they're sons and daughters of the living most high God. That they've been called the called out ones. That they've been born again by the blood of the crucified Lord. That their sins have been forgiven, washed white by his precious blood. That they have been declared not guilty. That their names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. That's God's book. See, they don't get victory because they cannot accept the fact that they're saints. Now, if someone asked you, Christian, if you're a saint, you probably would say, well, I wouldn't call myself a saint, but I'm saved. But... Why wouldn't you call yourself a saint? Well, you know, I'm just not that good. I, I still fly off the handle sometimes. Not much, but once in a while I lose it. So I'm a long way from being a saint. Who said you were no good? Jesus died for you on a cross, right? So if you're one of his saints, what right do you have to say, I'm not a saint and I'm no good? if the blood has been applied to your life. Well, I'm just not what I ought to be, preacher. Well, that may sound humble, but it ain't humble. You know what it is? Rebellion. I mean, let me ask you a question. If you're not what you ought to be, why aren't you what you ought to be? See, with God on your side, the Holy Spirit as your guide, and Jesus wiping the slate clean, and declaring you as one of his righteous chosen children, do you think God's going to take that as an excuse? I'm no good. I'm, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm telling you that God calls you a saint. You're saying, well, you mean that I'm supposed to be sinless? No, you can't be sinless. But I'm telling you that you can be blameless. Look, look, at, look at chapter 1, look at verse 4 again. According as he has chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does it say? We should be holy and without blame before him in love. Every one of us in here that are in Christ, followers of Christ, ought to be blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saints of the Most High God. Now, I'm not trying to blow your mind this morning. I, I, I want to see, we got too many defeated Christians going around. And sometimes we still don't get it. I hear what you're saying, preacher, but I'm not perfect. That makes no difference in God's sight. Listen, you're his saint, you're his child, you're his redeemed one. And in God's sight, he does what? Sees you as what? Perfect. 
Look at Romans chapter 4 for a moment. Verse 4, Paul's talking about the grace of God. Now to him who works, physical work, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That means if you could be saved by being a good person, it would mean that you've earned your salvation and God is in debt to you. I'll tell you quickly, God ain't in debt to no man. The New Living Translation reads it like this. When people work, the wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now look at what he goes on to say, verse 6. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. In the King James, he uses the word impute. That word means to put to your account. You say, well, I don't use that term. Yeah, you do. Every time you pull out that little card and pay for something, it's like you're saying, charge it. What you're really saying is, put it to my account. Impute it to my bill. Amen? So God puts righteousness on your account, not works. I let B.F. read my sermon last night. I don't usually do that. I said, I said, Bev, I don't know if I'm going overboard or not with this message. She comes in. I don't know. She said, I don't even have to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Maybe not all them words like that. Then I put, listen now, here's how I am. I've been saved 40 years. I put it up. I've been working on this for three or four days. Put it up. Then I start scrambling, looking for something else that would make you shout. I say, what is that? Flesh. Listening to the devil and not thinking that it's the devil talking to me, but it's God saying, you don't, you don't, you don't understand half of it. How are they going to understand it? So, you know, and I deal with all this stuff. And just so I come back, I say, you, know when I, you know when I got my okay this morning when I was going over it? Then, then I'm hustling, rustling, trying to finish it and all this stuff. If I would just listen to the Lord and the Spirit of God, he don't give us these thoughts just to fill up space and have you say, well, we're in church on Sunday. Let's see what the preachers are got for us today. It's for a reason. Amen? Yeah. But now listen. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works. So when I trust Christ, the moment I trusted him, the moment I gave my heart to Jesus, I became a saint. I am righteous. I become the righteousness of God in, through, and by Jesus Christ. And so did you. What if a sin? What do you mean, what if? Is there anybody in here who has not or does not sin? Stick up your hand. Hurry. We'll be a bunch of them going up if you're saints. Look at verse 7, chapter 4, Romans 4. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. King James says, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You say, well, that's, old, that's past sins, preacher. But what about the fresh ones? Well, look in verse 8. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He'll never impute sin to one of his children. Some people say, well, what if you sin after you're saved? Will you lose your salvation? Is there anybody in here that hasn't sinned since you've been saved? I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes I've ever lived to get me to heaven. Not the best 15. I'm telling you that when you understand what the Bible's definition of sin is, listen, the thought of foolishness is sin. Just the thought. Where do you find that at, preacher? James 4, 17. To him to know to do good and does not do it to him it's sin. Or Romans 14, 23. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We got to know what sin they're talking about. Every one of us, every day would say, yeah, I failed in some way or another. But I want to tell you, and you can put it down in big letters, bold letters, if you've repented of your sin and you've received Jesus Christ into your life and you've trusted him to save you, you are the righteousness in God's sight and you are a saint of God. Amen? You better understand that because until you see who you are, you're not going to behave like who you ought, how you ought to behave. Your behavior comes out of the conception of who you are. And when you see that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then you're going to begin to behave that way. I'm not saying that when we sin, we ought not confess our sin. You better believe we should, should confess, repent. But how many of us have confessed our righteousness? That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says that we are. And that's not bragging. In, in, in Romans 12, 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, and notice it's by grace, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is, don't be a bragger. Don't be proud. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But he goes on to say, but think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so the very first thing I want you to see, if you would have this proper self-image, if you would see who you are in Christ, if you would have a healthy, wholesome, well-balanced personality, you must recognize your righteousness. And your righteousness does not relate to your works at all. It relates to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we're not to do good works. You better believe we should. But I am saying, Christian, your righteousness is an imputed righteousness. God puts it on your account and it comes to you through what Jesus did on the cross and it's grace all the way. Now, I know there's a lot don't even believe what I'm saying this morning, not necessarily here. But now the second thing, the second step, not only recognizes your righteousness, but Rely on your resources. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, that is, it's already done, right? Has blessed us. Listen, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All, A-double-L, spiritual blessings. Now, you need to understand, not only are you righteous in God's sight, 
Not only does God call you a saint, but God has given you everything that you need in order to live a Christian life. Mm, getting quiet, you're thinking, aren't you? There, there are no tricks questions to this sermon this morning. I could ask of you, how many of you have all the patience that you need? Or all the love that you need? How many have you have, you have all the wisdom that you need? Or all the faith that you need? Probably none of us would raise our hands. Most of us would say, no, I don't have all of the patience or the love or the wisdom. But what God, what does God say in that verse 3? He's already blessed you and me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So who's right? You or God? Right? According to this verse, you and I have everything that we need to live the Christian life. Wow. All the love, all the patience we need, all the wisdom. You say, well, preacher, if I have it, why don't I have it? Why isn't it a reality in my life? Maybe it's because we've not understood that we have it, that this is who we are in Christ. How many people have I seen or led, even led to the Lord over a period of time to say, they went back smoking or they went and had a beer or something and they said, well, I didn't get nothing. I'm, who do you think that come from? It didn't come from Jesus. It didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It came from that other spirit. Why do you think drinking whiskey is called spirits? It's a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. It'll make you do foolish things. One drink, you're one drink drunk. So don't come up with all this stuff. Well, I think it's all right to have one drink in once in a while. Well, keep on thinking that. And after a while, you're going to have one more than one little drink. I'll, I ain't going to get into all that this morning. No, sir, I've got other things to talk about right now. I have enough trouble keeping me straight, let alone keeping you straight. And I, and I don't mean that I have a drink either. I ain't had one since 19th before February the 15th, 76. But, but did, I, did I have any problems from 76 until 2016? Quite a few. Yes. So you, you might be like the person whose face has been changed, but you never change on the inside, and therefore you still see yourself without wisdom or without love or without patience or without strength, and we conceive of ourselves that way because we conceive of ourselves because we, and because we're conceiving of ourselves that way, we begin to live that way. You have to learn who you are before you can behave as you ought to be. First comes the doctrine, then the practical, then the behavioral, after you understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, not only should you recognize your righteousness, but you should rely on your resources. You see, you know the truth when you know the truth, and then the truth sets you free. And if you don't understand what you have in Christ and who you are in Christ, and, and you know, God does not ask anything of you that he hasn't, hasn't already given to you. And everything that God demands of me, God's already given it to me. Do you understand that? And everything that God demands of me, he's already given to me. He doesn't ask me to manufacture anything. It's already mine in Christ. And according to Ephesians 1, chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3, God has already blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That means 
we have all the love we need, all the patience we need, all of him that we need. I hear what you're saying, preacher, but it just doesn't seem right. You know what it is that doesn't seem right? It's that peg or that stick in the ground about six inches deep that the devil has you chained by. And because that's the hangover from the old life, when you were chained before you were set free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I want to tell you that truth, real truth, is believing what God says. And it's more important to believe what God says than what you think. So what I'm saying is this. In order to have a healthy self-image, number one, you recognize God's righteousness in Christ, in God's sight. You are a saint. And the great God Almighty has imputed righteousness to you, and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And he'll never impute sin to you. That doesn't mean that he will not carry you to the woodshed if you need a spiritual whipping. But he will never put that sin on your account. How can I say that? Listen, because one half of one sin would damn you forever to hell if you ever had that sin imputed to you. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by the glory and virtue given us all things, everything. See, if you're really saved, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. If he isn't there, you're not saved. The Bible says that, not me. See, our understanding doctrine, that's why I say it's so important. This word is God's word, not man's. And God has put things in here for our understanding. And we are to read it and study it and apply it and live by it and die by it if it comes to that. Now, let me back up. Sometimes as preachers, we, we pick out scenes. We say smoking and drinking. Well, I'd, I'll, 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 so if there are any of you still smokes and drinks, I'll go to this one. What about thoughts? People can't see your thoughts. They just see what you're doing, right? See, sometimes, what about gluttony? <laughs> Want me to keep going? Or I'll stop with them too. That's enough. See, we're all got issues that we're dealing with, right? I used to never have to worry about weight. I got three different sizes. I got this corner's got 36 waist. This corner's got 38 waist. And my newest corner's got 40s. So, <laughs> so I know. So, I try to do right. Bev even had me eating celery last night. Because <laughs> I'm trying to lose my gut. It ain't easy. It was a whole lot easier and more fun putting it on than taking it off. Kevin, he's little, but you know what he does now? <clears throat> Gets up early in the morning, goes lift weights, runs, eating properly, quit drinking sodas. And he's just 38. Not in waist, but 38 in age. <laughs> Amen. Now listen, the Bible said, the Bible, I like it when it said, the Bible says, Romans 8 and 9, that if any man 
has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So if we're Christ's followers, we all have the Holy Spirit in us, and that makes us saved, and that's how Jesus gets in us, right? So if he's not in us, then we're not saved. How does Jesus come into us? By and through the Holy Spirit. We've all been made to drink into that spirit. The spirit of God is in us because we're in Christ and Christ is in us and his spirit drew us and we, he forgave us of our sins. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Right? Now, it's not until you know, man, it's late. It's not until you know that you begin to have this healthy self-image understanding who you are in Christ. Let me jump ahead. Third thing I want to say. Do you remember the story of Mephibosheth? Kevin taught it, taught it one Wednesday night not too long ago. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. David and Jonathan had entered into a blood covenant that they would love one another, fellowship with one another, fight one another's battles, shared each other's possessions. They entered into this blood covenant, one with the other. They were tight. Now, this covenant extended not only from David to Jonathan and, and uh not only from Jonathan to David, but a blood covenant descended to the children. So Jonathan, before he died, had a son, and his son was named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was heir to the throne because he was Saul's grandson. Saul was the king, and it was going to be handed down to Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan were killed, and David became king because David was God's anointed. So somebody took Mephibosheth who at that time was crippled because a nurse fell with the little boy or dropped him. And he became lame, the Bible says, in his legs. And he took this little baby to a place in the Bible called Lodabar. And there he grew up, fearing David. And one commentary says, hating David. Now, the reason that he fears and hates, because he did not understand who David was. He didn't know that David loved him. He didn't know that David had made a covenant with his father. And Mephibosheth's rebellion against David was the result of believing a lie about David because he didn't know the truth. And so he didn't understand who he was. And they also didn't understand that he was accepted by David because of his father, Jonathan. And so one day David found Mephibosheth and he had him bought to him. And the Bible says in, in, in 2 Samuel 9 that he fell down before him, fell prostrate before him. And he thought David was going to kill him right there on the spot. David said, I don't want to kill you. I want to bless you. I want to treat you as one of my sons. <laughs> I want to restore your inheritance. I want you to sit at the table with me. I want to love you. I want to honor you. I want to bless you. Now, why would David do all of this? He made it very clear, the Bible tells us in, in, in that chapter 9, he was accepted because of his daddy, Jonathan. Not because of who he was, Mephibosheth. David said, is anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to for Jonathan's sake? Now why am I accepted? Not because I'm in such great shape. Not because of anything that I have done. But I will tell you that God has accepted me for Christ's sake. The same thing exactly. The Bible says, be kind-hearted. 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And when I see this, when I see it right away that God already loves me, he loves me now even though I'm imperfect. Even though in my life there are faults and there are even failures. But he still says, I love you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're mine. You're my child. So that righteousness has been imputed to me. And I need to recognize my righteousness. And I need to rely upon my resources. Because as God has blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I need to receive my relationship with Jesus, which is this. I am accepted in the beloved, and I need to quit trying to work my way up to God. Oh, I'm good today. I didn't let a cuss word slip. I didn't get angry at nobody. I didn't have a bad thought. Oh, I'm so holy today. The next day, you're meaner than the devil. He says, you're accepted. The moment I come to him and say, here I am, Lord, I'm accepted in the beloved. And he does not change me in order to love me. He loves me that he might change me. And the more I stay focused in his word and the more I seek his face and the more I read that word, I'm going to become more like him as I allow his spirit to work in me. Amen. And Christ is the way to holiness I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I already have every spiritual blessing that I need. And when I learn to do that, when I realize and recognize my righteousness and I rely on the resources that are mine in him, I'm going to have a self-image that only God can give me. And then it's going to begin to make me more and more like himself. Now listen, the key of all of this is this little phrase, in Christ in Christ. Let me read him scriptures again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful. Here it is, in Christ. Verse 2 and 3, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. So over and over again, it says we're in Christ. How do we get in Christ? By repentance and faith that places us in the body of Christ. When I repented of my sins, when I told, asked the Lord to forgive me, when I confessed with my mouth all my sins and believed in my heart that God was going to forgive me of those sins, I became a born again, twice born man of God. Amen? So Christian, where are you now? You're in Christ, right? Where's Christ? Seated into heavenless. Where are you? Seated into heavenless with him, right? So what's true about Christ? It's true about you. Because God said so. Stand with me. And as you see, he's already enthroned. He's already seated into heavenlies. And all things are beneath his feet. And when we understand who we are in Christ, you talk about having a good personality. You talk about self-acceptance, a good self-image. You have it. And it won't be pride. 
It will be genuine humility accepting what God says. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Amen. And if you're here and you have never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, believe in your heart. Believe that God will do what He said He would do. I'm looking at a whole group of people. You all got different personalities, different makeups. Some of you come from different cultures, but it's one blood that saves us. Amen. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Bob, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel like I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. Because God is so good, Tommy. In this Tommy. Amen. Loves you with a never-ending love. Drew Conklin, he loves you with a never-ending love. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you one little quick story and we'll go. And don't forget the offering when you go out. But I remember one time I was in, I forget the name of it, don't make no difference. It was a, one of them places in Norfolk, in, in, in Ocean View. And the Lord was dealing with me. And I was just as drunk as a, as a goat in a hailstorm. And, and, and I told these friends with me, I said, hey, you know what? <laughs> Listen, Bob. They said, what? I said, if Jesus comes right now, I said, we're all going straight to hell. Oh, don't talk like that, John. <laughs> it was the truth. The Lord was dealing with me, and I didn't just want to be the only one who felt bad. The Holy, the Holy Spirit had already took my high out of my high <laughs> and brought me down way low. But I was so glad when I said yes to Him. And He saved me. He'll do it for anybody in the house. Amen. God is so good. Hallelujah. So if you're here and you want to come and pray, if, you, if you're a first-time person, a seeker that wants to accept Christ, that's the best thing. Listen, this world is getting ready to wrap up just like you would pull an accordion together. So you better know in whom you have believed and be fully persuaded in your mind that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And I pray for those that, that are here and if there's a lost person that they can come see me or see Pastor Kevin or anybody uh, on the council. We don't want nobody to be lost. And, we, and Christian, I hope you got something out of this this morning. I hope you begin to realize who you are in Christ. You say, yeah, but I got this hot temper. Yours ain't no hotter than mine. But the Lord has helped me and is still helping me with this thing. Oh, God, you're so good. I could have been dead and in hell this morning, but you had mercy on me. And you loved me with a never-ending love. 